Hi, I'm Matt. And I'm Becca. And we uh, we made a baby. <laughs> Hi guys, my name is Becca Bristow. You may know me from my YouTube channel where I talk about all things health and wellness. So when I got pregnant, I knew I wanted to bring you guys on this journey, but I also knew I wanted to include this guy right here. So we hope you'll join us on this journey of all things pregnancy, prepping for parenthood, and what in the world's going on with this girl's body, Becca's body. <laughs> and our baby. Oh, of course, yeah, our baby. So make sure to tune in every week as we share everything that is going on with us and baby Bristow. And your big old belly. <laughs> Hello and welcome back to the Bristow's Made a Baby podcast. Here we are. Here we are. How you doing, Rebecca? I'm doing great, Matthew. That's great. It's great to see you. Can I, can I actually tell you something funny? Let's start it off with a little story here. I was just with friends this weekend. Um... And none of them really that know you very well. They pretty much just know me. They don't know us together. And they genuinely asked, wait, does Matt like refer to you as Rebecca? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, sometimes, yes. Yeah, but it's like joking, though. You don't like exclusively call me Rebecca. True. But I call you Rebecca as well. And Becca. I don't know. Well, yeah, but it's more like joking. But you like if you're t- talking about me like to your friends or something, you would never say, oh, Rebecca. <laughs> Sometimes I do. Really? Yeah. Oh. Okay. It's your name. It's your name, isn't it? Yeah, but I don't really go by that. Nice. Well, that's anyway. a funny little story we just had there. So anyway, sidebar. Welcome to week twenty-three, and uh, this yeah. little baby's growing. We're gonna give a little stats here. All right, let's hear the stats. Size of a grapefruit. Wow. Wow. Big juicy fruit. That is a juicy fruit. Yes. Yeah. So it's getting big. Uh, little baby's forming nipples. So, how about that? How about that? Face is now fully formed. So no looked, more alien. Luckily hope or not luckily. Hopefully it looks more like you and not me. Oh, that's not nice. It, she. She. The baby can hear our voices like we've said in previous weeks. Um have we said that? We've said that multiple times. I think we said they could hear noise. Oh. Like my heartbeat and stuff. Well now she can hear our voices, so I'm continuing to sing to her. And <laughs> The baby's lungs are producing surfactant. So that's pretty exciting. <laughs> surfactant. Yep. There's no R. So. Oh, did I spell it incorrectly? You spelled it incorrectly. <laughs> okay. But All I right. Well, let's see if you can correctly guess what surfactant is. Sure. Um, sli- Word of the week. Saliva. No, but that's like kind of somewhat close. Thank you. Do you have another guess? Uh, moisture <laughs> to allow the lungs to swallow. Whoa. Wait, did you read the app? How did you know Because, <laughs> I don't know, I'm just thinking of things the lungs can did do. Did I write lungs on the thing? It says baby's lungs are producing Oh, oh I'll give you a hint. Okay, so surfactant is like a, it is like, so, like a, it's not saliva, but <laughs> it is like some kind of um watery i guess substance that the lungs produce and it like keeps the lungs from collapsing so it's very important yes well that's so exciting the ba- basically the baby's lungs are maturing good so that's exciting okay and in my research you know week 23 <laughs> some of these things start happening to the mother so i want to check oh, yeah. in check in with you to see if you know are these happening or are they not happening oh so. okay let's hear them how about some swollen ankles and feet i don't know you tell me if i complained of that no yeah no not at all one for one <laughs> Braxton Hicks contractions. Yes, you have complained about that. Yeah, well, not complain. They're not bad. Right. But mention, and I've even mentioned, I think in last week's podcast, 
that I get them. Mainly just when I'm like walking. Like if I go out for a walk, that's like the time I feel them the most. And then I hear, every once in a while I'll get them randomly. But gotcha. Well, I'm two for two. All right. Aching back. I mean, I feel like who doesn't have an aching back? So <laughs> I haven't though. Really? No. Just my rib. Uh, my okay. right rib. Two for three. Ribs. How about the bleeding of your gums? I would say no. Well, I mean, they're not like just like bleeding, <laughs> bleeding out all the time. <laughs> but however, sometimes, occasionally when I'm flossing at night, they bleed a, a good amount. Oh, wow. Yeah. But, so uh, two for four. Two for four. Although you didn't tell me about that. I feel like I probably have at some point. I no? don't think so. No? Okay. Well, it does happen here and there. But um, like I said, they're not just bleeding constantly all the time. Gotcha. Well, that's good. That's what <laughs> Which I would be that. scary. That's what I thought you meant. Yeah. So let's just dive right into week 23. And why don't you tell us more about that rib pain that you just mentioned? Ugh, the rib pain, guys. It's getting worse week by week as this baby gets bigger. It just keeps getting worse. So I'm like starting to uh, freak out a little bit about that. But I actually did make an appointment to see my like regular doctor. She's actually a nurse practitioner. She's not officially like a doctor or not whatever. She's not an MD, but I'm going to go see her. But they couldn't get me in for like two weeks, which is crazy. That's never happened to me before. They're usually like, hey, if you're flexible, you can come in today. But not this time. And, and she was even like, oh, you're in pain. Let me see if I can get you in sooner. And then the soonest they could get me in was like two weeks away. So we're going to have to wait on that. But I'm going to just go see if there's anything I can do about the cyst to try and like alleviate some of the pressure on that side. And maybe that will help with the pain. But I don't know, guys. It's getting pretty rough. But other than that, I have no complaints, really. No pain. So I guess I really can't complain. And then just like a couple other things to note. Um, Had my pelvic floor class again this week. I've been going every week now since I've started. And I'm loving it. I get excited for it every time. It's so great. And also, heartburn has started to kick up a little bit this week. And it only ever happens at night, like after dinner. And it doesn't happen every night. But I learned a trick. So if you follow me on like Instagram and YouTube and stuff, you know I'm like super into essential oils. And one of the ones that I came across that can actually help with heartburn randomly is lemon. So I have been, um, like the one or two times that I had heartburn this week, I just put a little bit of lemon oil right on like my sternum and it actually did help. It like alleviated it. It wasn't, didn't completely go away, but that was cool. Just like a nice natural, easy technique. And it smells really good. You have to be careful with that though. Like you can't go out in the sun with that because it's photosensitive lemon oil, but since it's only happening at night and I'm just, it's just like before I go to bed, then that doesn't matter. And then one other symptom, I guess you could call it, that is new is melasma. Actually, do you know what melasma is? Melasma is when you feel the baby's leg stuck in your rib. (laughs) No. Uh, Close? No, not even close. Uh, It has to do with skin. It has nothing to do with the baby. Well, I guess the baby and the hormones cause it, but... Oh, you're getting like red dots. No, but brown. Brown. So melasma is when you have like dark it's like a group of dark spots on your skin and it's really like common in pregnancy it's like referred to as like the pregnancy mask a lot of moms get it like over their upper lip so it looks like a mustache kind of which thankfully that's not the case for me because that's definitely a more inconvenient spot but mine is just like on is like below my right eye like it just 
I've always had like a teeny bit of sun damage there, but now it just looks like a lot of sun damage, even though like I've barely been in the sun. And I was like, what is going on? Like I've barely been in the sun. Why do I have all these sunspots? And then I realized, oh, that is caused by the pregnancy. It's just getting much, much darker. So I probably have always had those spots. They probably just haven't been noticeable enough to like notice from the naked eye. But <laughs> Matt is yawning so big right now. I'm glad I'm boring you. You're not. You don't want to hear about my melasma? It's exciting. I just <laughs> it's not exciting. drank iced mushroom coffee, but it's clearly not working. I think it had an opposite effect. I probably drank like the relaxing one, not the... Energy the reishi. One. Reishi. Yeah, wrong one. Um, anyway, so melasma. So that's happening, which is exciting, whatever. But apparently it, it um, once the baby's born, it slowly goes away on its own. And it actually makes sense because when you are pregnant, you have like an upregulation of melanin, which is like a skin pigment. And that is because your nipples need to get super dark so that baby can see your nips when it pops out of the womb and it knows where to go. So it just makes sense that other, you know, pigmented areas of your body just get darker. You learn something new every day. How about that? Can I make a little, another sidebar right now? Side note. Let's sidebar. I'm, I just had a taco and I'm so full. Mmm. <laughs> taco. It like hurts to lean over in this microwave. Or <laughs> this microwave. microwave. <laughs> this microphone. <laughs> mm. Oh, it's pregnancy brain for you. There it is. There it is. We well, did heat it up in the microwave. So you had the microwave I did on your mind. heat it up in the microwave. Yeah. Yeah, I had one Microwave too. on the mind. Yep. <laughs> is that the title of this episode? Sure. I had one too and it was delicious and I'm starving. Oh, uh, well, that's good for you. <laughs> Thank you. Okay, so that's pretty much it for what's going on this week. Okay, it's pretty much an uneventful week, which I'm happy about. So, like we talked about last week, we are going to dive into the discussion of why we decided to go with a birth center instead of a hospital. Nice. This is exciting. I'm glad to be here today. <laughs> are you ready to dive into this topic? Let's dive in. I bet you have a lot to say. I do, as usual. <laughs> I think people want to hear you talk anyway, so I'll, uh, I'll let you take the floor. Okay, so just to give you a quick little explanation, if you don't know what a birth center is... It's basically like an in-between kind of of a hospital and a home birth. It's a lot more like a, it's a home-like setting. They're just like normal bedrooms with regular size like queen beds. There may be tubs. There may not. But it's basically just like a homey setting. It's run all by midwives, not doctors or not OBs. And um, it's just basically midwifery care versus obstetric care, which I'll get into. But we decided to go with the birth center. Um, there is one in our area, luckily, and which is definitely not the norm because I think it's only like 1% or something. Don't quote me on that. It's super, super low. 1%. That might just be for home births, but it's a super low percentage of women that give birth outside of the hospital in or outside of hospitals in the U.S. Hospitals are definitely where a majority of the women um, give birth. Wow. So we're really uh, stepping out here and... Uh going against the norm i like it yeah for sure do you know anyone that has given birth outside of a hospital i do not oh that's a lie my cousin did yeah her and our neighbor oh yeah you just found that out about our neighbor right she gave birth at the same place that i'm planning on giving birth and she said she had a wonderful experience yes this is true which is great to hear okay i feel like this is such a big topic to discuss but i'm just gonna try and dive right in 
So first things first, with the birth center, they don't have like epidurals. There, it's not. Um, there's no like interventions really. There's and if, if anything, they're very minimal interventions. Um, so it's just different than a hospital. You're pretty much if you're going to a birth center, you're planning on having a drug-free, intervention-free birth for the most part, which is personally what I would love to have, which to some people might sound totally crazy, and I completely understand that. But that is the biggest reason why I decided to go with a birth center instead of a hospital. And you can obviously have completely drug-free, intervention-free births in a hospital. However, hospitals, you know, it's obstetric care, which is care by um, OBs, essentially, doctors. And they're trained in and specialized in um, like a medical, medically managed birth. So, you know, interventions are totally normal. That's like the day-to-day process. That's like what every birth they tend to, you know, use interventions. That's what most people want when they go to a hospital. So for me, who doesn't want any of those interventions, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense for me to be in a hospital if my pregnancy is super low risk, which it currently is. So that is one of the reasons. But yeah, so going with midwifery care versus obstetric care, so like basically the birth center versus hospital. Midwifery care is basically more centered around just letting mom birth the way that her body was designed to. And it may be more unpredictable and it may, um, you know, not follow a certain timetable, but it's just trusting, you know, mom and her body that it is capable and that it is totally able to birth her baby. So it's just kind of different. Um, Whereas in a hospital, you know, it's routine to have IVs or continual or continuous fetal monitoring, which is, you know, that um, monitoring like over your belly that constantly monitors the heartbeat. They may encourage you to be on your back, um, laying like lying on your back instead of being mobile, all of which those things, you know, interfere with being able to be mobile, obviously, while giving birth, which is so important if you're trying to go natural. And you can also like, um, it's possible to be in a hospital and not have like continuous like monitoring. It's totally possible. Women do it all the time, but it's just not the norm. And of course, it's like their default to do that. And also, unfortunately, with hospitals, they really are like on a timetable. It, you know, they're trying if because labor can be so unpredictable and it can slow down um, and then it can speed up. I mean, it's it's not perfect and it doesn't follow a perfect timetable. So in hospitals, that's kind of hard because, you know, they only have a certain amount of rooms on maternity wards. And like I said, hospitals are where majority of women go. So they're usually always pretty busy. So it's normal for them to try and intervene. Like if things slow down, they're going to want to intervene to speed things up and basically keep everything going on track. So what they'll do in order to keep things on track, essentially, is they'll start using drugs. They'll start using those kinds of um, interventions. So There is something called the cascade of interventions, which this is something that I learned about. But so let's talk about the cascade of interventions. Let's do it. This is not something that's necessarily talked about a lot. So what it is, basically. Drum roll, please. So for example, the one of the biggest and most common interventions is getting an epidural. And there's not necessarily anything wrong with getting an epidural. Um, However, it is an intervention in birth and it can affect how things go. So while it does absolutely help with the pain and it makes you know labor so much more comfortable and helps mom be at ease and not um, you know stressed out and in pain obviously suffering 
um, what ends up happening is so you get the epidural because it dulls the pain. And unfortunately, that dulling of pain will slow down the oxytocin because oxytocin is the hormone that is secreted when we are, uh, it's one of the hormones that's secreted when we are in pain as kind of like a natural way to deal with the pain. So when the pain goes down, so does the oxytocin and the oxytocin is what keeps the contractions going um, and what also helps us push. So we get this medicine to help dull the pain, which in turn, unfortunately, dulls labor essentially so contractions can slow down and also the urge to push if that's the stage of labor you're in can go away so what do we need to do we need to boost up you know that dulling of labor dulling of contractions, slowing of everything with pitocin so pitocin is basically the artificial form of oxytocin and it will rev things up again and it will make the contractions much stronger vroom, vroom. and longer and therefore it revs up the pain level again. So the pain goes up again and then, then we go back in with the you know epidural medication. We can get like a little shot of that to deal with the pain and then it just dulls everything again. So then what are we going to need? We're going to need more Pitocin to speed it back up. So you can see how this can become kind of a vicious cycle. And unfortunately, I've mentioned this in an episode before, but Pitocin, since it creates, it's the synthetic form of oxytocin, it's not exactly what our body puts out. It actually creates longer contractions that are much stronger than your body would naturally do. So unfortunately, this oftentimes causes fetal distress. So I feel like it's so common to hear that, you know, labor was progressing, things were going fine. And then all of a sudden, you know, nurses and doctors started to get a little concerned about baby's heart rate. It started dipping a little too low during contractions and baby's in distress. And now we're all, you know, afraid for baby's safety and we need to get baby out. So we're going to do a cesarean um, instead of birthing vaginally. So this happens all the time. So this cascade of interventions basically just ups the rate of potentially fetal distress and then therefore cesarean births and if you don't know cesarean is it's a i mean it's major abdominal surgeries where they cut into your abdomen and that is how they get the baby out versus through your vagina so you know there's a lot of risks that come with um cesareans it is again major surgery it's also a tougher recovery and there are definitely times where you know emergencies happen and things really go south really quickly and thank God, you know, that we have surgeons at the ready who are able to get babies out in, in that time um, when it really is indicated. But unfortunately, so many times C-sections or cesarean births happen when they're not totally indicated. Um, and again, a lot of times that's created by the use of interventions. And other times, like when you actually, you know, really dive into the research Sometimes it's really done out of convenience for doctors, which really is like messed up when you think about it. And again, like they are indicated sometimes and thank God, you know, there are emergency situations, but they are happening like way more than they necessarily need to. Um, so WHO, the World Health Organization, I think their like recommended sweet spot for cesareans is like, I want to say like 13 to 15%, somewhere around there. But in most hospitals in the U.S., like above 30% is the norm. So obviously it's happening way more than it should be happening. So me personally, I would rather, you know, it's it feels important to me and it feels, you know, like a better choice for me to just avoid all of this and, you know, not um, 
opt for the interventions unless, you know, we decide that they're absolutely necessary and I need to be transferred to our hospital or something like that, which could happen. Um, so at the birth center where I am birth- planning to birth, the C-section rate, obviously they don't do them there. This would be all hospital transfers is I want to say 4%. So super, super low. And then the hospital that I would be delivering at the one in our area, that's like the best hospital. It's also just happens to be the closest their cesarean they actually would not tell me <laughs> i asked the midwife that i was seeing there when i was under their care what their c or cesarean rate was and she totally like skirted the question and was just like oh i'm not sure when they know well and good what the cesarean rate is like that is a well-known fact and the fact that she didn't want to tell me was a huge red flag for me um, I know that as of five years ago it, at that hospital, it was 34%. And the fact that she wouldn't tell me makes me think it's probably higher now. So that just made me pretty uncomfortable. And it just was not something that I, you know, I didn't want to put myself in that situation. So the thing is, you know, as women, our bodies are designed to give birth. We have such an intricate system of hormones. I mean, we talk about how our hormones are raging all of pregnancy And that is so true of birth too, but it is like a very delicate dance. There are specific hormones that are released at specific times, both to progress labor, also to help you deal with the pain and discomfort of labor. But once you start intervening, even if it's the smallest little intervention, it can throw off and kind of like throw a wrench basically in that delicate balance. And, you know, things can start to go haywire because it is so perfectly designed when you start to mess with it and tweak it and kind of um, override certain things of you know in that system, it just kind of like it really can fall apart. And that's you know when we see you know need for more and more and more interventions because things are starting to like I said fall apart from that you know one initial intervention. And again, that goes back to the cascade of interventions I was talking about earlier. And obviously, you know that puts mo- both mom and baby in more danger. So. While, you know, it's so normal to just assume that hospitals are absolutely without a doubt a safer place to birth. Um, And I think a big reason of that is because like the NICU is right there, which like that I can totally, you know, I completely understand. But at the same time, you know, it's so normal in hospitals to intervene in birth. And we know that, you know, introducing these interventions makes birth not as (laughs) necessarily safe for mom and baby because things start to go haywire. And also another, I guess, problem or downside of the birth culture in the U.S. is there is so much fear around birth. Not only do we see it in media, like movies, it's like the classic, you know, woman screaming her head off in labor, yelling at her husband, how could you do this to me? Which is funny, you know, but it makes it seem like this horrendous experience when it doesn't have to be. And also just from doctors. I mean, I've heard friends tell me that, you know, or friends of friends say, you know, their doctor literally told them, you know, you're just not, you're probably just not designed, you're you're just not a good candidate for vaginal birth for XYZ reason. When really that like, that, that is, that is true for some women, but it's like less than 5% or like five to 10% or something, um, pretty small. But it's so normal for, you know, our culture to tell women that they can't do it and they're not strong enough and their bodies aren't capable when, you know, 90, 95% of the time they absolutely are. So with going with the birth center, first off, I am just because they don't have all these interventions, I'm less likely to have a cesarean. I'm less likely to have 
um, baby needing to go to the NICU due to complications caused by the birth, which can still happen in a natural birth. It's just not as common because all those interventions aren't, like I said, <laughs> intervening and, you know, kind of making things go haywire. Also, I read in my Mama Natural book that women who give birth in birth centers are actually less likely to tear. And also they don't really routinely, or I think routine episiotomies are kind of like phasing out anyway, but midwives are so much less likely to give any episiotomies. They, they would rather just let the skin, uh, if it's going, or the, you know, perineum, if it's going to tear, just tear on its own. Um, so less likely to tear, which is kind of an interesting factoid that I didn't know before reading that book. And also a big one is less likely to be induced. So in hospitals, they definitely push induction. Um, not all hospitals and not all doctors, of course. Like that's such a blanket statement. And there's also a lot of moms who are like totally down to be induced, you know, if you're really uncomfortable at the end, like, and I get that. Um, but I don't want to be induced because I really want to have a natural birth. And when you are induced, you most of the time are given Pitocin and that's not always true. But a lot of times you are given Pitocin to get things moving after they try and do like Cytotec to dilate your cervix and stuff like that. And if that doesn't get it going, they'll do Pitocin. And Pitocin, like I said, the contractions are stronger and they're longer and therefore they're a lot more uncomfortable and harder to get through than contractions just during a natural drug-free labor. So I would be way more likely to be like, hey, give me the drugs. I am struggling, um, you know, if I were to be induced. And actually at my hospital... My midwife, because I was still debating because I really liked the midwife there and I wasn't like totally set on doing a birth center because I was seeing this midwife at the hospital and I really liked her. But for me, the biggest red flag and the main reason I was like, hey, I'm out of here was she told me that they a huge study was about to come out um, and I have to double check if it's come out by now because that was obviously months ago. But a huge study was coming out that basically found that women that were induced at 39 weeks versus women that were let to just go and into labor naturally um, out of all those women who gave birth in hospitals the women who were induced versus the women who were not induced had no increased risk of c-section so basically what that meant or what that means is the hospital was going to be um, pushing women to be induced at 39 weeks they were going to be heavily recommending it and she straight up told me that and that is not what I want. I mean, it's like common to go 41 weeks with your first baby. So if they're going to be pushing me to induce at 39 weeks when like that's still technically early, that is not what I want because I do not want to be induced. So I don't want that pressure. I just don't want that energy. Like I just don't want that even to be a thing in my birth. I just want to let my body do its thing and go into labor um, whenever it's ready. And with the birth center, Technically, I can go up to 42 weeks, um, so hopefully I go before then. If I don't, I'll probably be pretty pretty miserable. <laughs> but um, So yeah, that was like the final straw for me. I was just like, yeah, this is not the place for me. Um, but I will say, like obviously I'm saying all of this stuff, and um, I'm clearly very pro. Um, I won't even say pro because that means I'm against the other way. I'm not. But for me, this is just the best decision for me, and that's why I feel so passionate about it for me. But as I talked about in other podcasts before, it's so important to go wherever you feel the safest, wherever you feel the most comfortable, and wherever you feel the most supported. If that for you is a hospital with, you know, a really awesome OB and with the promise of an epidural, so you're not going to have to, you know, deal with contractions for too long, if that's where you feel the most safe, comforted, or comfortable and supported, that is where you should go because 
literally the stress of feeling uncomfortable or feeling scared or fearing feeling fearful can literally like impair your labor and slow it down so no matter you know your circumstance if you've just got to go wherever you feel safest so in my case that was definitely the birth center um and not delivering in a hospital because i just don't feel nearly as comfortable in a hospital setting as i do in the birth center setting and of course i feel like this goes without saying but of course there are times where obstetric care especially and just like hospital settings in general are totally indicated like with high-risk pregnancies like if you're a high-risk pregnancy or like a multiples pregnancy you know the safest place really for you is most likely in the hospital um but you know that's just not the case for me i'm a low-risk pregnancy and i you know there's no reason for me to automatically be in um like a birth setting that is you know, trained in medical management of birth. So I just personally don't really require, at least at this time, things could change during birth. You know, you never know. It's very unpredictable. But I just don't require that level of care um, at this time. And I just would, you know, encourage anyone out there to just research and educate yourself and just, you know, inform yourself on all of the risks and benefits and pros and cons of either one or either way and just go with whatever you personally feel most comfortable in but you know the the worst thing you can do is just go in blind and not do any of your own research and then you know something end up happening and you regret not doing research that could have you know prevented that situation in the first place you know i personally want to enter the newborn stage you know of our lives with this first child feeling empowered and feeling like I'm strong and feeling like I'm capable as a mother. And, um, you know, if I were to, for example, you know, feel like my body isn't able to birth this baby and I'm, I'm incapable for, you know, different reasons, you know, of things that just kind of went haywire in the hospital. And of course, like I, some women, there really are like emergencies that happen and you have to have a C-section and that is absolutely the best way to go. Um, but again, like all those times where it's like maybe not totally indicated and maybe they just like rushed to give you a cesarean, like that is the time where I feel like it's just kind of hard to deal with. And it's, like I just don't want that for myself like after all the research that I've done and you know I am fully aware that things can go wrong and things can happen and that could be what happens like we may end up in the hospital with a cesarean you know like and I think just letting my mind go there and accept that that could be a possibility is really important because I don't want to be naive and I don't want to just like put myself in this corner where I'm going to be miserable with any other outcome. Um, But I do want to try and do whatever I possibly can mentally and physically to prepare myself for this birth, which I've been trying to do all along and will continue to do so that I can minimize the risk of any of that happening. So just maximize the risk of, you know, me having a birth that I really, you know, want and would make that would make me feel empowered and just feeling, you know, really strong and capable moving into life with a newborn which has so many of its own challenges and everything like that and i do want to say like there obviously are so many women who give birth in the hospital that have fabulous experiences um like for example you know you know you go in and you get your epidural and you're able to actually relax and you're able to actually sleep and you're able to chat with your family members and just be so excited and like really live in the moment 
because you're not in a lot of pain and you're not dealing with all the discomfort of, of, you know, labor and contractions and transition and all of those things, you know, like that's obviously a huge upside. And like, I totally get that. Um, and there's so many births that, I mean, go so smoothly and none of that happens, you know, they're able to give, you know, they have all the interventions and they're still able to give birth vaginally without any, um, you know, like vacuum extractors or, without any forceps, um, and they don't need to be rushed into a cesarean or anything like that. Um, so like, obviously that's the case, you know, there are many that do go totally right. Um, but there also are on the other hand, many that do unfortunately don't go quite so right. And that is just kind of, that's tough for me to get over personally. Um, cause it's just something I'm, I'm fearful of and I just want to kind of avoid. So that like in a nutshell, um, all of those things, are why I decided to, um, I say, I should say why we decided to give birth in a birth center because Matt is totally on board, aren't you? That is true. <laughs> you just said a lot, but I am on board. Yeah, he is still here, if you guys are wondering. He didn't leave. Hello. <laughs> He's just sitting there yawning and listening. <laughs> I've gotten less, less yawns here. Oh, good. All right. I'm very, I'm interested. <laughs> no, it is interesting. Um, and I'm glad you're interested. But a couple things I would want to point out to you guys, because um, I, I personally found them super helpful, like on this quest to just learn more about, you know, birth culture in the U.S. and things like that. I feel like people always talk about like the business of being born, that documentary. I honestly have not watched it personally. I have nothing against it, but I'm just like not a big documentary person. I'm sure it's like a good starting point, but I don't know. I always just find documentaries to be like kind of biased and don't really tell you the whole story, which is why I just like don't really like watching them myself. Um, but I have heard that that's really good and I'm sure it is a great starting point to just give you a taste of like the birth culture in the U S and like some of the downsides of it. But some of my personal favorite resources, first things first, the anime Gaskin guide to childbirth. She is like the like most renowned midwife in the U S she also has a Ted talk you can watch on YouTube. That's only like 15 minutes, I think. And it's really awesome. But that book in general is really, really, really great. Um, I'm also reading the Bradley like guide to childbirth or I don't know exactly what it's called. Um, the Bradley method childbirth book right now, which is also good. I'm not fully through it. It's a little more snarky. I think I've said this before in a podcast than the Ina May. Ina May is a lot more gentle <laughs> with, you know, how she delivers, you know, the downsides of the birth of birth culture in the U.S., I guess. But one of the biggest things that I would encourage you guys to listen to, obviously, if you're listening to this right now, you're a podcast listener, so you know how to listen to podcasts. Go to the Pregnancy Podcast. That podcast is phenomenal. Um, it's like an evidence-based po pregnancy podcast, and I'm obsessed. But I think it's like episode 72, right around there. Don't quote me on that. But it is her interview with Dr. Stu. He is an OB, actually, but he practices basically as a midwife and he has some incredible insights into you know birth culture the health system surrounding birth um, and obstetrical care it is very 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 eye-opening and very interesting um, but it's not like it doesn't bash hospitals or medicine or anything like that it's not like radical it's just a really good like good, good listen. He really knows what he's talking about. And he points out a lot of truths that are sad and scary about, um, you know, the birth culture here in the U.S., but they're so important to know. Like I said, being informed is the most important thing. Whatever you decide is whatever you decide. But if you're informed, then 
you made a great decision because, you know, everyone takes information differently and everyone analyzes things differently and weighs things differently um, and has different, um, you know, things that are important to them. But if you're informed, you're automatically going to be making a, a pretty great decision for yourself. So that is the most important. So definitely listen to that. I can't recommend that enough. That was like a life changing podcast episode for me. And it's just super, super interesting. And it's coming from, you know, someone who has been through it, who has been working in hospitals for a long time. He no longer does. Um, And it's just super, super insightful. So anyone, if you think you'll be expecting in the future or if you're pregnant right now, even if you've already had kids, like I would listen to it because it is so good. But yeah, that is why we decided to go with the birth center. And, you know... well, no one knows what's going to happen with our birth in, you know, I don't know, three or four months or however long we have. Um, but I'm just like hoping to kind of like set the intention right now that, uh, you know, everything is going to go really well. I'm just remaining positive, but also remaining realistic because that's just my personality that emergencies can happen and this baby can end up being breech and I may not be able to deliver um, at the birth center or, you know, in an hospital in our area that does breach deliveries, you know, who knows what's going to happen. So I'm going to try my best to go with the flow, but also just do whatever I can in my power to prepare my body and my mind so that, you know, we can deliver in the birth center. Rosie's agreeing. She's shaking right now. She's like, yeah, mom, get it. <laughs> we're, we're here to support you. Me and Rosie here, we're here. What's in your mouth? Nice cube. Oh, okay. Great. Thanks. I've had to do something to stay awake over here. <laughs> I mean, you're interesting, but ice cubes help too. Okay, so now that I've officially talked for, I don't know, like 30 minutes all by myself, let's hear from this man over here. So tell tell us all, what are your thoughts on giving birth outside of hospital? Are you excited? Are you looking forward to it? What made you want to get on board? That's what I really want to hear. I'm very excited. Um, I think what got me on board... I mean, obviously there's the technical things and what could happen during birth, but just when we toured the birth center and kind of talked to some of the midwives, just kind of how nice they were. Not that, you know, doctors can't be nice, but right, right. just very, it's just, it's just different. Just the, the culture, the feel, it's just very positive. It's very, um, you know, we want to do what's right for you and I mean that can happen in hospitals too but it just seems like they really prioritize that in the birth center and I think my biggest concerns were you know what if something goes wrong but I think they you know they're they're very upfront about you know if we feel something's going to go wrong you know luckily the hospital's right there they'll call the ambulance yeah it's so close it's like five minutes away right and they'll bring you over um then the other thing was I think this is now turning into a positive in my mind, but at first it was concerned was the average time after you give birth is until you go home is four to six hours, which at first was like, Oh man, like we got to like know what we got to do. But I mean, that's going to happen a day later anyway in the hospital. So why not True. get out of the hospital or, you know, the birth center and stop having to deal with, you know, getting poked and prodded, whatever, yeah. and just get home and relax and, or probably not relax, but deal with your baby. But get in your own bed. Get in your, get, yeah, get in your own home and, and where you're comfortable and happy. Yeah. So those are my deep thoughts for this week 23. Those are some good thoughts. Thank you. Well, I'll just say that I'm very appreciative and grateful that you are totally on board. 
he's a pretty easygoing guy, you know, to go to begin with and very trusting of me and, and my, uh, you know, just how I feel on this matter. But, you know, it was also really important for me, for him to feel comfortable, you know, cause he's so much a part of this. And, um, I'm just glad that you gave it a chance and that you were open-minded and I'm just glad that you're excited. Cheers to us. <laughs> Cheers. No, you're welcome. To baby yeah. Bristow. I'm glad you're taking charge like this, seriously. You're not just like, oh, I need to go to a hospital. Not that that's wrong, but you're like putting thought into this, which it's, I think that's awesome. Yeah. That's not surprising either. <laughs> right. Yeah. It's just how my mind works. It's true. <laughs> which is good. Yeah. Okay. I think this is like the longest podcast to date, so we're going to cut it off here. Thank you guys so much for listening. Yes, thank you. Uh, go ahead and subscribe if you haven't already. And uh, let us know what you're thinking. Give us some stars there. And uh, we will see you in week 24. Yep, see you then. Catch you later. Catch you later. See you. Bye.